Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at the new James Cameron-produced Terminator Dark Fate. We're also going to talk about Dr. Sleep, the Warner Brothers follow-up to The Shining. We're going to look at um, some movies that are coming up in the next couple months, holiday film preview, so that you know what's coming out at the movies and what will be worth your time and won't 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 be... Oh my god, I'm, I'm almost falling apart. <laughs> I can do it, I can say Before we get to all that, we need to talk about the news, and the first thing that happened this week, HBO Max sets monthly pricing and a May 2020 launch date. We know when HBO is coming. We know this is hot on the heels of Disney+. Plus. Uh, which actually just premiered today as of recording, which is exciting. We'll talk about that in a minute. But for now, HBO has monthly pricing. Andy, how much is this wonderful service going to be? All right. So the HBO has always been known for premium TV and has charged a premium price, and that is no different here. Uh, this will be fourteen ninety nine. Which if if you have HBO now, that's what uh, that's what you're already paying. So it's the most expensive of uh, all the streaming services. Uh, but like I said, HBO has always considered themselves kind of on another level in terms of quality, and it's it matches the price. And it's actually lower than they had initially. I mean, people were saying you know seventeen dollars, twenty dollars, uh, maybe even. Um, and there's a, a few details here. If if you're an existing HBO now. A customer, you'll be automatically kind of switched over to HBO Max when it comes out in 2020. Um, if you're if you have an, a subscription through AT and T, you'll also get a year of it uh, for free. So they have some incentives uh, to get people on it if you're not already. Um, and again, comes out May 2020. I'm excited about HBO Max, and I know I shouldn't be because I feel like there's a streaming service for everything, of course, and we're all, you know, the internet is a series of tubes, and all we're going to do is do streaming service after streaming service till there's nothing left, but uh, for what it's worth, I think the HBO Max library really is something worth talking about. It really is. Like, what they're doing with Warner Brothers is huge. They have a ton of cool new series coming from Warner Brothers properties and creators. Ridley Scott is making a sci-fi series over there. Their DC connection will be really cool, and I'm interested to see how that universe kind of grows. And I like watching Batman movies, so that'll be fun. They have exclusive streaming rights to shows like... South Park and and Rick and Morty, which are both popular, and of course you're getting the HBO library for fifteen bucks. Andy, is HBO Max worth it? I mean, it's it's pricey, but you know they definitely go for a quality over quantity approach as opposed to something like Netflix, which is that's one of its biggest criticisms. Is it has so much, but so much of it is things you don't want to watch. Whereas HBO only, only has they produce much fewer shows, but they're generally, you know, have excellent writing and effects. You know, they brought us Game of Thrones, The Sopranos. Uh, we're currently watching Watchmen. Um, so their shows are on another level, and so they feel the need to pay a premium price. Um, it's it's a little steep, but I think it's worth it. I think so, too. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to get it when it comes around. I'll have to kick. That'll probably be... When Netflix goes to the curb, although I do, I already have Net, uh, HBO, and it's worth mentioning the price isn't going up. If you have HBO, like it's going to be the same price. So, I don't know. I, I'm personally, I'm excited about the uh, Studio Ghibli collection coming to this. That'll be really rad. Mm-hmm. Um, funny because those are all translated and brought to the U.S. by Disney, who doesn't have the streaming rights to them, but has the DVD and Blu-ray rights, and that's where entertainment is now. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> w- yeah, that, that'll be something we're talking about, I guess. But for more on HBO Max, keep it here on Offscript. We'll keep you posted. We need to talk about this new music biopic that's coming out. Biopic, right? It's not biopic. It's biopic. I say biopic. That's the me. Bee Gees <laughs> are getting their own music biopic. Yes, the Bee Gees. It's very exciting. That band is popular in the 
50s, I think. Uh, no, 70s, I think. 70s is when they were popular. It's yes, not Andy, Elvis. <laughs> Andy, what do you know, what do you know about this story? Um, not too much. It's just it's in the vein of several very popular um, biopics that we've gotten, most notably Bohemian Rhapsody from last year, which was a huge hit, made tons of money, um, probably created new fans of Queen as well as reinvigorated the old ones. And, uh, you know, they sold even more of their music. So this is a very much a business decision. They know that if they can get a good movie out there, make it popular, they can kind of breathe new life into an existing uh, artist, especially ones as kind of old as the as the Bee Gees uh, from the 70s. Uh, that's all I really know because I saw this headline and didn't continue reading the article. <laughs> yeah, it's... Man, it, it really... It doesn't feel like the bubble is about to burst on music bio by biopics. Far from it, actually. But this is an odd choice. I know they're working on like the Vanilla Ice one, right? He's got one coming. I think like the Rolling Stones, probably. I think I read somewhere. The Bee Gees is a weird one. Who's this movie made for? Who's gonna go see this? You know? I know mean, they really are. They really interested. But I guess you look at the audience for Rocket Man, which is where this is coming from. You know, people went and saw the Elton John biopic. Why, why wouldn't they go see the Bee Gees? Yeah, exa- exactly. There, there is an audience. It's definitely going to be skewed a little bit older. You know, if you were in your twenties and thirties in the seventies, so probably, uh, you know, boomer generation. Yeah, and maybe maybe old <laughs> boomer generation. Yeah, old sure. old Gen Xers maybe boomers. as as well. So it is definitely geared towards an older crowd. But the, there is money. I mean, the, the the boomer demographic is not to be ignored at the the box office. They surprise you. We're seeing that with things like Downton Abbey. Um, so again, if you cater to a certain demographic and you can grab them with something that they really like, and you got some, you got the music, you got the nostalgia. Um, yeah, you can make a killing. I, I would not be surprised if this is you know a half a billion dollar movie. Yeah, and it sounds like the most like lightweight puff piece, nice guy, uh, sunny Sunday approach to a, to a biopic ever. Like these guys are going to be. There's no way this is going to be any kind of like actual reality, right? It's going to be like a nice sunny lifetime movie version, just like probably like Bohemian Rhapsody was. I think Rocket Man cut a little deeper, but even then, I heard they pulled some punches. So we'll see. I guess another in a series of kind of half-baked uh, music biopics. Um, keep it here on Offscript for more. Uh, mm-hmm. God, that was such a downer. Yeah, if, well, if we if we look back at something like Ray, which I think came out in 2003, which was definitely one of the things that really kicked off the uh, the biopic film as a, an entire genre, um, you know, that was 17, 17 years ago, and we're still going strong, and people are still trying to dig through and find different... Um, you know, oh, sure. Different films, and it, they they're really successful, so they're going to keep doing them. Yeah, I'm I'm actually a really big fan of uh, the Doors, the Oliver Stone uh, biopic of the Doors, starring Val Kilmer as um, their lead singer. Uh, he's he's Morrison, Morrison, Jim Morrison. Good lord, uh, you know I, I don't know. I, I it's a formula that works. I just. I, I, I want to see like big studios behind it, you know, and people like really going for it. And it feels like it's just, you know, Paramount Pictures spinning their wheels, turning their tricks over there <laughs> with their, their music uh, properties. Um, speaking of turning tricks, our last story this week, Disney Plus <laughs> unable to connect as server issues and security concerns plague launch day. Uh, I, I guess nobody's really surprised by this, uh, except maybe Disney. 
or not, Andy? You're a, you're a webman. You know things about the internet. Uh, what do you What do you know about this? So, like a kid on Christmas, I was actually really excited about this. I saw that the app was going to be available around four or five in the morning, and that The Mandalorian, which is a big show everyone's looking forward to, would be available at eight a.m. So I wake up at seven thirty, <laughs> go to my Xbox, and go to download, and which goes fine. Uh, but then I log in, and yeah, I'm having trouble. Homepage isn't loading. Uh, some shows load. I tried watching a few things. They worked fine. Other things did not. The Mandalorian did not want to play uh, initially. So uh, it, it's a mixed bag. But, you know, we live in an age where these kinds of big tech launches, it's expected. You know, because you're you're literally having millions of people uh, sign on to this brand new service. Uh I think they did a smart thing by launching it early in the morning because people have to go to work. You can't just sit and try to watch uh, something. So, you know, they get the full day for people to try to download this and get it to work. Um, so it's to be expected. But, yes, people had trouble signing in. People had trouble uh, actually watching the shows they wanted to watch. But I, I think by this evening or tomorrow, it's probably going to be fine. Yeah, I... <laughs> I agree. Um, I'm a little bummed, but at the same time, like I, I figured there was no way this was going to be a smooth thing. Um, the timing is weird. It seems strange for such a big service that so many people are interested in to launch in the morning at an unannounced, unspecified time. It seemed weird that you couldn't download the app in advance. Like it seemed like there were some kind of layups here. And I think, right. I mean, we were talking about this yesterday. All of this has got to be part of an attempt to have a softer launch, right? If you tell everybody exactly when it comes out and exactly when to click go, the servers are going to crash and nothing's going to work. But if you just kind of drop it and unspecify, hey, Tuesday morning-ish, um, the people who are really hardcore will rush to it. Everybody else will kind of flood in and it's it's a bit softer. It's not as, it's not as harsh. Um, makes sense, I guess, but it maybe hasn't gone as well as they'd hoped, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. But also, you know, I've experienced similar things with other, you know, uh, some of the Game of Thrones um, premieres that crashed the servers because you had millions of people logging on to all watch one thing. Uh, so it's not unexpected or unprecedented. And it, like I said, by by not, if they were to say the Mandalorian, the app comes out at 8 p.m., that's when you can download it and watch the show. If they would have done that, it would have been... Uh, crazy it would and it would have caused a, a bunch of bad publicity so this this is a way to kind of hedge against that and if anything they can spin it and say hey disney plus was so in demand we we're crashing servers left and right you know we we bought this much and it was even bigger than we thought so i think that they'll probably spin it positively uh in their direction and i even had had a friend who works at a tech tech company and we're saying that the the amazon web services servers were struggling like their company was affected by how many people were downloading and trying to watch Disney Plus. So that's, if anything, that that's a good thing for the company. That's a good sign that uh, people are interested. Right. Worth mentioning that Amazon web servers are like all of the web servers in the world, right? Like not actually, but there there are a lot of them. They're most of them, I think, right? Handily. Yeah, especially for big companies like this. Yeah. Well, uh, as far as Bumpy Launch goes, since you got up and did it this morning, what did you experience? Did, did it work? Did it kind of work? Because I, I, I got on as well, and I had some issues, but I want to hear how yours went. Yeah, like I said, it it was fine uh, logging in. I Like I said, some things wouldn't load. The Mandalorian wouldn't load. When I was scrolling through films, it kind of ended up repeating a lot of titles that I'd already seen. 
but uh, overall, and my initial impression was it, it looks pretty slick. It's everything's easy to to navigate. It's got a nice UI. You know, luckily, you know, <laughs> Netflix walks, so Disney Plus could run kind of situation that like the other yeah. people have already gone through the growing pains of of bad UI, and so it, it's it was it was fine. And yeah, once it starts working, and once everything's sorted out and they probably knew and there's probably limitations of you know you can buy all the servers and all the bandwidth in the world and there's still physical limitations of what these things can yeah do. there's only so much um I, I had a similar experience this morning I, I i was able to sign up uh put in my credit card information of course uh log in and for the most part the experience worked i could scroll around and see things um i didn't try to watch anything because it was early in the morning and i had to go to work but um you know, some stuff didn't load. Yeah, I tried to open a couple categories and function. Otherwise, I, I think it worked, but I didn't actually try to watch. So that's kind of the big thing. Um, I've seen Twitter all up about it all day. It doesn't work. This is dumb. People like, I, I paid for three years of this service in advance. It doesn't work in the first eight hours. What the hell? Um, the internet's the internet, and I yeah. love it. But Disney will be okay. They'll survive. Yeah, I mean, it won't matter. Yeah. they probably anticipated this. I mean, because anyone who's bought a big digital product on day one, you usually have some glitchiness. It's just it's the nature of the business, and Disney isn't exempt from it. And anything, if anything, they took steps to mitigate uh, the situation. Like I said, if they had said 8 p.m. launch date, download it, watch whatever you want, that would have been a disaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have been a disaster, and it would have been a much, uh, much, much more explosive story. But we appreciate you listening. Regardless, we should probably move on to the movies of this episode. I'm going to be taking the first one. Uh, then Andy will get to Doctor Sleep. The movie is Terminator: Dark Fate. I'll be back. So, in the world of Terminator: Dark Fate, more than two decades have passed since Sarah Connor stopped Judgment Day at the end of Terminator 2, the James Cameron film, and uh, turned back the clock and kept uh, the apocalypse from happening. Uh, in the world of Terminator 2, or Terminator: Dark Fate, excuse me, this is already getting confusing. Danny Ramos uh, lives with her brother and father in Mexico City when a Rev 9 Terminator the latest greatest sports model comes back from the future uh, to murder her and she's assisted uh, in her surprise by a human cyborg played by Mackenzie Davis and Sarah Connor uh, from from the past played by Linda Hamilton uh, the, the, the three of them work together and ultimately find to defeat the Rev-9 and save the new future uh, they may have to <laughs> find help in the hands of a T-800 model played by Arnold Schwarzenegger that's been lost to time. Uh, Terminator Dark Fate is a roller coaster of a Terminator film. <laughs> um, I I had, I love these movies. I really do. Not all of them, but definitely the first two. Um, and so they hold its place near and dear to my heart. I've got hot sports opinions, but Andy, what did you think of Terminator Dark Fate? I think that there's a lot of things that work and are done well, and I think it also is a mix. It's got some pretty big pl- problems, which have plagued the the series ever since uh, Terminator 2. Um, overall, like I like the action. The action is very big and over the top, and it's a return to form. Reminded me a lot of of Terminator 2, uh, which is has really great action sequences. Um, we we get fun, interesting characters. You know, uh, Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor has a 
really good entrance where she's uh, this badass grandma. And then uh, Mackenzie Davis's uh, enhanced super soldier is also really unique. And so what we what I liked is that we have three strong female leads of of various ages. So we're we're covering a lot of uh, diversity there. And the the things that kind of don't work are the things that have not worked in a num- in all the films pro- pretty much since T two, which is it's the same premise every time. Someone goes back in time. A Terminator yeah. goes back in time. You got to run from it. It's the same thing. Yeah. And and the problem with that is that the story never evolves. It's always like you got to you got to save this person, otherwise X will happen. And then you, it's not really any different than Terminator Two in in that sense, or or really Terminator One. So that's that is a big problem. And I don't I don't know if there's a way for this series to move past that, but you would have to to make these movies more interesting. Yeah, uh, I in very many parts agree. I I think this is probably my favorite of the follow-ups to Terminator 2 of everything. Certainly better than T3, than Salvation, than Genesis, and I think Dark Fate is where we're at now. Uh, I I liked it more than all of those. Um, But it's definitely still got problems. There's a lot of parts in it that work. Uh, I think... think, um, We should kind of go over what works first before we get into what doesn't. But ultimately... Your mileage may vary, especially if you're a Terminator fan. So let's jump right into it. The first thing's first, probably the most central thing, the plot, right? Like you said, uh, in the Terminator films, we have the same plot loop every time, and they can't get away from it. Hero A must come back to the past to defeat uh, villain A, uh, uh, who's also come back to the past, to kill Hero B, who ultimately will save the future. It's like this bootstrap kind of uh, loop that these movies are stuck in and they can't really get out of it because I think the Terminator movies are thin in universe. They always have to have time travel and Terminators, right? Like those are pretty much both essential things. Lots of guns, lots of action. Terminator two had the most to say about morality and what it means to, you know, murder. But after that, they've never really found that lead again, but this movie takes a stab. All right. It it grabs, Mm -hmm. A lot of what worked about Terminator 2 and, and, and brings it to the future. But what did you think of our plot here? Was it confusing? Were there too many characters? Because uh, I've got hot takes. I liked our characters. I feel it moves way too fast, especially in the beginning. We meet, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Danny Ramos, played by Natalia Reyes. And we, we briefly meet her and her family and her brother. And I get what they're doing. They're trying to just drop you in on the action, which like Terminator 2 does a great job of. Um, but it it just kind of kind of feels really rushed and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, and again, it's the plot's always the same. And the other thing, if you can, if people can just go back in time and undo what's been done, then there's no point to any of the stories because you can always just do that. Uh, so I, I feel like the big thing is Terminator needs to stop the time traveling, and they need <laughs> they, they need to actually just get, like move into whatever this war is with the machines or the post apocalypse, which they attempted to do in in Terminator Salvation. Um, but but you you can't again you can't kid just keep rehashing the same storyline. Right, I, I'm I'm very much in the same camp. Uh, Terminator Salvation felt like a good step away. That was the one that was like actually in the future. Uh, it was all apocalyptic and Christian Bale was, you know, uh, John Connor and he cursed at a guy on set, uh, that, that happened. Uh-huh. Um, but this one, it, it does, it retreads the same ground, but then it's in a different setting, which I, I kind of appreciate it. It's 20 years in the future. We have a different, 
character uh, in our kind of central hero B role that has to be saved by hero A. She's in a different city. She speaks a different language. That was kind of neat. And she's also privy to a different kind of reality of the future. This Rev-9 Terminator, of course, like all of these movies, I realize, is not like the others. Uh, it's different. It, it has a, a new thing it's where it's slightly got, different. Right. It's got a robo skeleton that's black and looks cool. And it has this like liquid exoskeleton. Na- I think nano machine exoskeleton. I'm not sure they ever actually say what it is uh, that can separate from it and also sit on the, the, the metal skeleton and, and look like a person and morph. It's it's a lot like Terminator 3, I thought, had this version of a Terminator, but apparently not. It's it's Terminator 1 and Terminator 2 slammed together. That's a Terminator. You got your metal skeleton and you have your cool liquid metal thing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, both. Great. He can, he can do both. Why not both? That's that's this Terminator. Does that work? Did you feel like that? Because that's, kind of, that's our main villain, right? That's our main antagonist, the thing we're running away from. What did you think of this Terminator? I mean, I, I think it did give us some cool scenes, but the problem is it's a little bit OP and you know, it's, it, it, it takes away from the dread. Like, what was so great about the T-1000 is that, or what's t- terrifying about the first two Terminators is that it just never stops. You know, it reminds me a little bit of It Follows, where it's this, like, you can slow it down, you can run from it, you can't stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not really a sense of dread. It just seems so overpowerful that it's like, well, why doesn't it just lunge at, at you know, uh, D- Danny Ramos and yeah. stab, stab her? It seemed like... Uh, and, you know, so what someone else pointed out is, like, what's really the purpose of, like, being undercover at this point? Like, when you're that much of a crazy whatever uh, advanced technology, like, why do they even bother hiding at, at this point? There's no no reason for it. <laughs> it's it's true. Very early in the film, uh, this Terminator does a thing with its cool liquid exoskeleton that makes it seem like, oh, well, there's no way anybody's going to beat this. But that thing it does early in a fight, it never does again through the rest of the movie. And it's like, okay, so it has, like, powers that it kind of doesn't use sometimes based on the situation. Ultimately, you're right. Like, Terminators are supposed to be very aggressive. And, I mean, they're robots, right? They're no-nonsense. They're they're going and they're murdering and that's their thing. This one has a little bit more charisma. It's played by uh, Gabriel Luna, who appears on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He plays Ghost Rider on that show, and that's the only thing I've ever heard of him being in. Uh, he is our Terminator this round. Mm-hmm. I don't know him all that well, but he does a pretty good job, and I thought he brought an interesting kind of character to uh, whenever he had to have human exchanges, right? Because the Terminator has to kind of slip into a, a human role there and, and be like, hey, how's it going? And act like he's not a Terminator. Uh, Gabriel Luna does a pretty okay job in those scenes. He seemed pretty menacing. He seemed pretty, like, I'm, you know. Yeah, I, I, I guess know. I guess I liked him better just when he was the Terminator. I guess he, he does a good job of being that kind of robotic, not going, not, you know, has no other mission than to destroy you um, kind of look and, and feel. And I'm sure there's a lot of, because there's so much CGI in this film, I'm, I'm sure that that's quite a, a challenge as, as an actor as well. Which It's is a, worth mentioning. Go ahead. Which is a whole other thing. Like the effects or something else uh, we can talk about. And uh, we later. should. Uh, I do want to talk about the thing that stands in uh, Gabriel Luna's way. Of course, our Rev Nine is Mackenzie Davis, who plays a human cyborg who's kind of a Terminator, but kind of not. And and you get to figure that out when you're watching the movie. She does a great job, actually, of playing this kind of tough 
no-nonsense character who has some weaknesses, who is human but ultimately can operate like a machine. She's really charismatic and great in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed her character, and she's she, she's a tough, no-nonsense uh, person. She's a good foil to Linda Hamilton's character, who is the same way, and they butt heads through the ent- entire film. Uh, but she, she gets, I mean, she has so many cool action scenes. I, I really did love her, her character and what her character got to do, because that's the other thing is you can't, uh, you de- you definitely have to improve o- upon a human person uh, to even have a chance against the these Terminators. So having an, an enhanced super soldiers is is a good kind of middle middle ground. And and it you know it is kind of a an insight into the future because things like wearables and implants are becoming more and more real life. And you could easily see a future where in a hundred years you know soldiers are implanted with you know some some sort of upgrades yeah we do need to talk about the the kind of judgment day uh inevitability because right just like in terminator right uh, how there has to be a terminator and a a time travel mechanic and a hero and guns there has to be a judgment day right there has to be a place these terminators are coming from and despite linda hamilton who we'll get to in a minute uh saving the future in terminator 2 there is still a judgment day here but it's not quite the way we were told it was going to be back in 1989 right uh Uh now it seems like judgment day happens because cell phones and because digital media and because that was always the way it was going to be, right? That's kind of the ideology here. Well, not necessarily cell phones. Is I, I took it to mean just basically the arms race in general will continually, like if you don't do, if Judgment Day doesn't happen this time, it'll happen next time because that's kind of, it's a bit of a comment on, on human nature. A little bit, yeah. Uh, certainly not as deep as its uh, forebearers, but... I can appreciate what they're going for. Um, there, there's also some kind of interesting themes in, in in kind of racial and gender relations, right? We have our three main characters are female, uh, and our, our villain and then kind of anti-hero and Arnold are both male. Uh, our setting is Mexico City. There's a transition to the United States over the border. That's exciting. There's a detention camp. I was like, man, this movie cuts deep. And I think that's because uh, not only of the writing, but because of Tim Miller, right, who directed Deadpool 1 and 2, who did this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it shows. It's edgy and it's modern and it's contemporary and it's, it's, it's got a little bite and that shows in all the aspects of the directing, but especially kind of the overarching presentation. Right. No, no, you're exactly right. It's um, our setting gives us kind of new life. We there's a lot of Spanish in the beginning. And and in in Terminator 2, we, you know, Linda Hamilton's character had a lot of colleagues that were kind of across the border or, you know, she spoke a bit of Spanish. So did uh, John Connor as as. Yeah, John Connor, <laughs> uh, as yeah. as well in in this film, so, so that definitely helps breathe uh, new life. And like I said, the the beginning kind of freeway scene that it starts in, in Mexico um, before transitioning. Yes, and speaking of new life, we can't get to the new without the old. So let's talk about Linda Hamilton, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Returning again, Arnold, for his uh, f- fourth, of, I think sixth, fifth Terminator film. I know he missed one or two because he was being the governor of California. Yeah. Uh, but he's kind of interesting. He plays a very old T-800 who's now 20 years old. That's been, wa- that's, that's been somehow exists in the, fu- in the future, I should say. Uh, uh, he is not particularly robotic. Uh, this Terminator is presented as having been able to adapt which is frustrating to me because terminators 
aren't supposed to adapt, but they had to figure out a way to get him in here somehow. And you know what? I guess I don't mind when Arnold Schwarzenegger is in a Terminator film. So I was okay with it. How'd you feel? Uh, yeah, I went with it. I, I mean, it's easy to kind of ride around these things. I mean, considering when you can have people just go back in time and completely change the entire storyline, something like this isn't completely unexpected. Uh, they just need to, an excuse for him to be in there, uh, which is fine. It, uh, I thought he had some good lines. He's still like, you know, he looks the he still looks the part um, as much as Linda Hamilton does. But it does have the problem, and I was thinking about this in terms of Star Wars as well, of you know, you tr- you want to cash in on nostalgia, but you also want to let go of the past and do th- and introduce new characters and move forward. And it's hard to do that when you're constantly hanging on to old characters. Like they they would they would have been better to kill these people off and just kind of move forward uh, than constantly bringing bringing them back. Um, old char- old characters like Linda Hamilton, you mean, who we haven't talked about. Um, yeah. I swear I'm wrapping this Wait, which I th- Which I think one, is, but. which I think she's good and I like that she's in here. I just wish that, you know, she had maybe been in some of the other films and then, ha- you know, met a heroic end and then just kind of uh, gone on. It's funny that I watched the uh, Red Letter Media review yesterday. Uh, they said the same thing. They're like, we figured Linda Hamilton was going to die in the first 20 minutes. Like, why would she be in the whole movie? You know, like, I forget, I forget her heroic death. You're on your way. But I like her in this movie. I, I really do. I, I'm glad she's back. I think she does offer an interesting tie to the past that's not Arnold. You know, it's like right. if they cast Michael Bean to return as... as, as uh, What's his name from the first film? Uh, Kyle Reese. Uh, right. You know, I didn't mind it. We should talk about the action, and then I know we should move on. Yes, because we're we're about we're about tapped on time here. Uh, but the action in a Terminator film is important, of course. A lot of CGI, a lot of set pieces, a lot of explosions, and a lot of big guns. How'd you think it did? Uh, a lot of it works really well. We get some crazy, uh, you know, hand to hand combat. We get freeway chase scenes. We get giant planes. It does. I don't know if it was filmed in like a higher frame rate, but a lot of it looks a little bit too real. It, it looks to me uh, almost like a documentary, um, which just kind of takes me out of it. And there is a lot of CGI and, and the high frame rate makes it look like a video game. Like there's a part yeah. when there's like a waterfall and another part where there's a, like a fire. And I was like, those look completely fake. Like, you know, uh-huh. that, you know, neither of those things are happening, happening right now. So I, I feel like it does suffer from just a lack of realness. And the third act kind of goes a little bit off the rails. There's a whole thing. There's a fight between two basically giant airplanes, with people kind of yeah. flying around both of them. And I was like, this is really excessive. Yeah. In a weird way, it felt like, I don't know if this was intentional, but it felt like they were almost going for, uh, like the Terminator 2 action set piece in the middle because Terminator 2 kind of feels like it's coming up in the climax and then you find out oh that was only the end of the second act like they, they, they do this whole thing at this psych ward like it's a whole it's a whole thing but this movie kind of does the same thing there's this big showdown at like an airstrip that ends up you get planes in the sky no there's like a whole more action set piece after that like that's not act even four. the end <laughs> yeah right yeah like it just keeps going which is good but ultimately like, it loses all its you know, suspense towards the end. Cause we've seen this story so many times we, we know what's going to happen where our, our heroes are going to either sacrifice themselves or barely scrape by with our main hero. Who's supposed to save the future. And they're going to defeat a Terminator, even though it's supposed to be so hard to kill a Terminator. Um, it's, it's just overdone. We've just seen it so many times. And really that's the core problem in this movie, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. 
So, this is the longest review for a Terminator film uh, ever. Uh, I, I'm sorry this took me so long, but I do hold this series near and dear to my heart. I do care about them. Uh, Andy, what did you think of Terminator Dark Fate? Sorry, would you recommend Terminator Dark Fate? Good God. I, I would probably recommend it to fans of the series, of which there are many. It's definitely the best of, of the films after Terminator 2. Uh, it has good action. It has good performances. We, we get interesting new characters. We get the revisit uh, visitation of, of old characters. I, and I thought, again, Linda Hamilton was really good. She And she has a great entrance uh, to the film. And then she's just this kind of s- sassy... Uh, angry old, uh, old grandma, but that that will shoot you in the face. <laughs> um, but it it does have its issues. This the story and plot are just tired at this point, and there's not anything really new you can do. Uh, again, there's too much CGI at, at a number of points. It takes you out of it. The Rev Nine is a little bit overpowered, and it looks cool. It's just not very interesting. So I would probably recommend it to fans of the series. Everyone else can wait for streaming. <laughs> yeah. yeah me too i i'd love to say no it's totally worth it but like it yes a hundred percent agree if you like terminator if you've seen a few of them and you're mildly interested you'll probably enjoy this one i do think it's one of the better ones i really do but it's no terminator one it's no terminator two i don't think they'll ever make another one of these movies that of that quality if you can put yourself besides that and just kind of get into the, like the nostalgia trip of linda hamilton being back and a little bit of arnold action like that's You'll have a good time, um, but ultimately, it is it is a little too shallow to really do anything new. I don't know if they're just going for a hard reboot of Terminator after this, or maybe this this is the last one. I, I don't know what's next, but um, I'm, I'm it's, sure. Yeah, it's definitely another one coming. Se- it's definitely set up for a sequel. I it did do very poorly at the box office, so I don't know if if they'll go. But at the same time, I feel like this property just somehow stays alive. So I'm sure we'll see another movie in a few years. It did do very poorly at the box office, but you're right. I think another one's coming down the road. Uh, and hey, speaking of box office, uh, we need to talk about our next segment. Uh, Andy, you're, you're going to take the first bit of this. Do you want to do the formal holiday film intro? I don't. I don't. Do we have any music for it or anything? I'm we'll we'll we'll, we'll find some. We'll find some. Got it. All right. Please take it away. Uh, this is our holiday film preview. Nuts roasting on an open fire. So we are in the midst of the holiday film season and Oscar season. We're going to be talking about uh, some of the titles to, to keep an eye open for in the months and days to come. Uh, starting with November 15th. We actually should have done, done this a week or two ago, but here we are. <laughs> hey, there were some good death cinema segments, all right? <laughs> yeah. our, our last two episodes were good episodes. That's right. Yeah. Um, so starting this this Friday, November 15th, uh, we get the Ford v. Ferrari uh, story starring Christian Bale and... Oh, man, I'm blanking on people. Matt Damon. Thank yes. you. Uh, You're going to have to help me come December, <laughs> but it's fine. Go ahead. Uh, which comes out uh, this Friday about the, the kind of the building, the building of the Ford GT and Le Mans. And it, it, I'm sure it's very Oscar worthy, too. It looks like a gr- great movie. I'm excited to see that. Charlie, the Charlie's Angels reboot uh, 
which stars Elizabeth Banks uh, and others <laughs> that I can't completely remember right now. Are, yes. That's also coming out. Um, I'm, I've never been a fan of that series. I feel it's really sexist and they should move on from that. Uh, but that's coming out. And then we... But, we <laughs> but Andy, this is the all-female reboot. Here's where they turn it around. Yeah, Surely. I guess. This, yes. This is for all the years of, of misogyny and Charlie's Angels. Here it comes. Uh, Waves, uh, directed by Trey Edward Schultz, who directed It Comes at Night. Um also comes out this week. This is a small indie film that looks great. Uh, it's about a suburban African-American family uh, going through different difficult periods with a kind of domineering father, but they have to learn you know, to love each other, forgiveness, come together, all these kinds. It looks really good. I don't really know what it's about, but I'm excited to see that. Next week, November 22nd, Frozen 2 is the big, big release. Um, followed by A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is the... Uh, not the not the documentary, but the Mister Rogers actual film starring Tom Hanks. You think any of those Frozen Two animators are like upset their childhood hero uh, is about to have a movie go up against their monolith of a box office breaker, Frozen Two? Because there's no way, there's no way Tom Hanks beats Frozen Two. Like, there's no way. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're right, but those are there's different audiences, so ah, they're both about Maybe. children in a way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway. November twenty ninth. Knives Out, which I'm looking forward to by our favorite, uh, Ryan Johnson. Ruin Johnson. <laughs> I'm trying not to say. You wrote on the outline here. I see that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Knives Out, which is the Who Done It with a star-studded cast uh, by Ryan Johnson. His first film since The Last Jedi. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of haters out there. And it's then Fall from Grace, right? And then Queen yeah. and Slim, uh, which is uh, another drama starring. Man, I can't not remember. I'm blanking on people's name. Right, uh, Daniel I, Daniel Kaluuya. 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 Uh, oh God. Yeah. Ka- and I can't fine. remember. I can't. I've seen this trailer a number. It's of introducing. Times. I forget her name, but she's new. Right. So, it's, it's a, so it's this, first time this is about a couple on the run after uh, a traffic stop turns uh, deadly, and a cop is shot, and then they are kind of on the run like a bonnie and clyde type uh situation uh that looks like a really good film and i'm excited to see that and that wraps up our big november releases yes uh very excited for november i i think all of those are pretty good but i think december is really going to be where things turn out uh starting with december 6th the aeronauts an amazon prime original film starring uh eddie redmayne and and Felicity, yeah, Felicity Jones. Felicity Jones. I, I don't know where I was going with that, but yes, uh, they are two steampunk-style Victorian pilots who are, are hopping in a hot air balloon and going to space, or so they think. And hijinks ensue, and we'll probably watch it for the show, but it looks okay. Uh, December thirteenth, Jumanji: The Next Level, the sequel to Jumanji Two, is coming out, starring the original cast. Looks to be good. I never saw the original, but I heard great things. Uh, Richard Jewell, the new Clint Eastwood film, is also coming out, starring one of your favorite racists from Black Klansman in the lead. Um, but hey, I, I, mm-hmm. supposedly it's a breakout performance. Yeah, they, uh, and that that film's about the uh, the ninety six uh, Atlanta Olympic bombing. Yes, I'm interested to see tonally how that one works because it's about a man who's accused of the bombing and not really the bombing. So I don't 
we'll, we'll probably watch it for the show and let you know how it is. Uh, Uncut Gems, the new Safety Safety Brothers film, is coming out. These are the two brothers that did Good Time, starring Robert Pattinson, uh, last year, which was a really cool movie. Actually, really well received, and is on Amazon now if you want to see it. Uncut Gems stars Adam Sandler in one of his more dramatic roles of the past few years as a bookie in New York who has to, I think, turn up a little extra scratch and, and get some money by morning or else he's going to be sleeping with the fishes or something like that. Uh, and also on December 13th, the new Terrence <laughs> Malick film, A Hidden Life. Yes. Uh, follow up to the Tree of Life. Actually, probably not. But uh, A Hidden Life is about a Austrian farmer in uh, during the World War II era who refuses to fight for the Nazis. So it's a Terrence Malick film. It's going to be artsy and, and that's, it's going to be a movie. That's yeah. the most coherent plot I've ever heard from a Terrence Malick film. I'm sure it's not even nearly that coherent when you watch the film. Uh, December 20th is when some big things are happening, namely Star Wars Episode Nine: Rise of Skywalker is coming out and we'll be watching that for the show. So keep it here. Uh, it's also the day I get married, so small world. Uh, Andy's going to be tied up and not going to be able to go see the movie. I'm Bummer. seeing. I got tickets uh, for the night before. Good lord, Andy Draper. Uh, we're also going to be seeing Cats on December twentieth. Um, happy anniversary to me. Uh, so it's Tom Hooper film. Uh, it's an adaptation of the Broadway play Cats. You know, people got some hot takes on how the cats look in that. There's CGI. It looks it really look weird, man. Really weird. I, I love Tom Hooper. He did The King's Speech, which won Academy Awards. He did Les Miserables, which won Academy Awards. Anne Hathaway got Best Actress from that movie. He did The Danish Girl. Uh, I, I I think he's actually really cool, and the movie might be bad, but I believe in Tom Hooper. I do. Uh, December 20th, we'll also see Bombshell, a uh, female-driven drama, workplace drama about Fox News and Roger Ailes' uh, history of sexual harassment. So that'll be exciting. Uh, stars Charlize Theron, uh, Nicole Kidman, and Margot Robbie. And I did that off the top of my head, by the way. No That's IMDb good. on that. I saw the trailer earlier <laughs> when I was watching Doctor Sleep four hours ago. Uh, and December 27th, to wrap December, because I know this is taking way too long, we're going to see Little Women uh, from Greta Gerwig. This is a modern... No, I take it. It's not modern. It's it's period P- Period retelling, yes. Star-studded yes, cast. Uh, starring, yeah, Saoirse Ronan and Emma Watson and a couple other gals who were great, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, and we're also going to see 1917, the new Sam Mendes picture where time is the enemy about uh, two British soldiers in World War II who have to race across a battlefield to save 1600 of their finest troops from certain death. What a review. What a month. What, what two months, Andy? What a holiday. I think things are looking good here. What do you think? Uh, there's a lot of great stuff. I mean, it's been a great year for film. It's, it seems to always be a great year for film, particularly the fall has been very rewarding. We've had good films in September, October, and a lot to look forward to in November and December. Right. It's never not a good month for film. It's always a good month for film. So, I, you know, take 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 that as you will. Um, but I think it looks good. I, I'm excited. I, I think November looks great and December looks even better. I'm surprised I don't see too many, like, Oscar tent poles in here and maybe they're here and, and these are them and I'm just not seeing them. Maybe cats is supposed to be, you know, or, or, or uncut gems and hidden jewel, you know, I, I don't know, but I, I don't know. I guess I was expecting more like artsy, like parasite kind of stuff, you know, lighthouse kind of stuff. And maybe we've already seen those. Maybe those are those movies. Um, oh, that's right. It just seems like a lot of mainstream here. Uh, what do you think? Am I, am I wrong? 
Uh, it's it's a good mix. We we like I said things like Richard Jewell, like that looks like an Oscar worthy films. I've heard Uncut Gems might be that Hidden Life definitely Bombshell. It, it's a mix. These are Oscar worthy films that are also kind of mainstream looking uh, a lot as well. Right. Um, one more thing before we go. Queen and Slim. Uh, the actress who plays Queen is Jodie Turner Smith. Sorry, I wanted to make sure we got that. Thank you. Uh, let's move on. I guess to our final film. Excited to talk about this one, <laughs> Andy. Please take it away. Doctor Sleep. So this is the sequel to The Shining, both the book and the film in a strange way. Dr. Sleep is a novel written by Stephen King, which is uh, the sequel to the book of The Shining. So this film has a unique challenge in that it has to be a sequel to both book and film and adapt the existing novel. So it has a real challenge and I think it actually uh, does it pretty well. So the story is we meet Danny Torrance, young Danny Torrance from The Shining, uh, not in a great place. We first meet him in uh, the late 2000s. Uh, he's hard drinking. He's he's an addict. He he's at a bar. He gets in fights. He's just he's living a wild lifestyle. Um, he's hard living. Yeah, yeah, Danny Torrance. Yeah, he looks terrible. And you know what? One of the themes of the of the Shining f- novel is is kind of this cycles of violence, and you know. Uh, we don't really get this a lot in the film, but the in the novel, his Jack's, Jack Torrance's father is very abusive, and so that kind of cycles in, into him. And so we see that again here where we meet Danny Torrance uh, almost in a uh, train spotting type uh, situation. At the very beginning of the film, he does early on, he realizes that uh, he has a problem, and he... He kind of moves out to a new town, makes a new friend who kind of knows that this man needs help. He seeks redemption at an AA meeting and uh, becomes sober. Meanwhile, he still has uh, the shining ability, which is kind of the psychic ability to read minds or kind of see things. And he sees some of the ghosts from his past, including Dick Halloran and including many of the specters from the Overlook Hotel. They still haunt him, and he kind of learns to deal with them. Uh, he gets a job at as an orderly at a hospice care uh, facility, and this is actually where he kind of finds his his place because he realizes that he he can kind of sense when it's someone's time. When, it, when someone's going to pass from this world into the next. And so he, he sits with them and kind of comforts them as, as they die, as they pass on. And he feels a real calling in this profession, and he eventually gets the name Dr. Sleep because he helps the patients as they fall into the endless sleep. Um, meanwhile, we meet a, a young girl named uh, Abra Stone, uh, who we call by, who goes by Abra, who's a young African American girl that also has some shine uh, to her, um, and she, and she's very powerful in in what she can do. Uh, meanwhile, at the third, there's a lot going on here. Uh, we <laughs> we actually uh, the film opens with us uh, introducing Re- Rebecca Ferguson's character called Rose the Hat, who's uh, kind of a traveling gypsy and who also shines, but also uh, it seems like they devour those who do shine and it gives them kind of uh, immortality. And so she's part of this gypsy crew that goes around looking for, especially like specifically children who, who shine really strong so they can kind of 
take their uh, what they call steam and become immortal. So this is our setup for for the film because we eventually converge with these three groups. We have uh, Dan Dan grown. I have a hard time not saying Danny Torrance. Dan. <laughs> yeah. We have grown Dan Torrance. Uh, Kylie Kieran, who plays Aubrey Stone, and then Rebecca Ferguson in her pack of shine addicted gypsies, and that's our story. Man, uh, what a summary! Well done. I'm amazed you got through all that. That was that was uh, as long winded as the film is at two and a half hours. This movie covers a lot. Yeah, it, there's a lot going on in this movie, and and I think. Having so much to do in two and a half hours might hurt the pacing of the film. That's just me, but we should talk about it. Andy, what did you think of Dr. Sleep? I really, really liked it. I was really into it. Um, and again, it has a unique challenge. It's, it has to be a sequel to two different things. And the the Shining book and the Shining film are wildly, wildly different. So it had to kind of converge the two uh, together. I like I really liked it because it picks up with our character, Dan Torrance. Like, what does it look like when you went through that, you know, and he still has the ghosts of the past are still haunting him uh, today. And he kind of finds a new mission. And I I felt that Dr. Sleep is so much more about the shining. Like it feels more like the novel of the shining reads because it's uh, the shining film. isn't really a much, about the shining itself. It's more about the hotel and Jack's craziness. It's not about the psychic abilities, which is really, that's, I mean, that's the top title of the, of the novel. Yeah. Uh, So we get a lot of, of cool things and, and we have these, yeah, I mean, he's having to fight these ghosts of the past, confront them. And we also, we get some really interesting scenes where, you know, they had an actor play, uh, Dick Halloran and he nailed it. He looks like him and he sounds like him. It was incredible. We get a lot of, it's not really scary. We get a lot of good, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's more like it's disturbing for sure. And, uh, it's more like psychological horror, horror, I guess, but it's not like a traditional, there's not a bunch of jump scares. Um, but I, re- I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed our, our characters. Rebecca Ferguson is great as the, the villain. It, it kind of expands the myth, <clears throat> which is part of what uh, a sequel should do. And it explains mm-hmm. a lot of things that are completely left out of the first movie or that are just background and, and Kubrick chose to just leave in the background. Right. So I guess let's pick up with one of our kind of three main plot strands here, and then we'll tie them together uh, and, and get it kind of a complete package. And then let's talk about at the end how, how it... Uh, kind of ties into the shining as a whole. That seems to make the most sense. Um, for me, I, 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 I think this movie does a lot, right? I think visually it's very engaging, but I think it lacked a certain confidence in, in, in the patience that somebody like Kubrick had for this material. I think Stephen King can be most chilling when it's long and drawn out. I think the first couple it movies really tie into that, especially the first film. And this movie doesn't quite get there. It's a different tone. Um, but it, pays homage in a really clever way to the shining that I don't think hurts it. Let's talk about Danny Torrance, right? Mm-hmm. Just in general, this man, cause, cause the whole, the first act of the film is him, uh, getting his, getting his life together. Right. And, and turning, turning it around, right. From being the, the most insane partier. Um, what did you think of him? You and McGregor. I mean, how do you do that? Just the character, Plot. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, he he looks terrible in the beginning, and and again, the, this is left. To, I'm going to say this a lot. This is left out of the the Shining film. You know, Jack's alcoholism is a huge part of that. 
that film and you don't uh, you don't see it in the movie because it's you know he's being sober you see him after he's been sober but his drinking is a huge part of the problem and so you you see danny following in in those same uh footsteps and that that's where he that's where he numb, numbs the pain and that's where he yeah just dr- you know drinks to forget what he went through and what the you know what the what the family went through Right, like Terminator, uh, there's an interesting cycle of like repetition there, um, from from what came before. You know, and our characters in Terminator uh, are presented like, oh, this is kind of like Judgment Day, Terminator Two happening all over again. In a lot of ways, this is too. Danny seems to kind of circle this same path as his dad did, and has to kind of face that. Uh, on top of helping our, um, I guess, kind of protagonist, really, our Danny Torrance this film, Abra, Abra, uh, mm-hmm. Abra, I don't know. Abra, uh, yeah, uh, she's played uh, by this little girl who does a great job of being this kind of modern Danny Torrance who can shine stronger than everybody else uh, and has to be mentored by our young Danny Torrance. Um, what did you think of her? Uh, I, I thought she did great. It's a good child actress named uh, Kylie Curran. Um, the way that her and Ewan McGregor kind of talk is that they, they live in within a vicinity and they kind of communicate through this wall that is uh, kind of like a chalkboard. And one day uh, Ewan McGregor wakes up and just it says, he sees that it says hello. And then he writes back and they kind of do the, this writing back over, over years and they, they never meet. It's just, you know, Danny know, knows that he, <clears throat> the abilities he have and the, the supernatural, it's not a big surprise. Um, and so he he kind of accepts it, but that's also how they will eventually meet is through this uh, ability that they use uh, on the wall, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, it's very visual and it's very clever, and it creates some really cool suspense moments, you know, where where the wall doesn't have anything on it, and then he'll turn around and there's something on the wall, you know, it's like there's some otherworldly force that's written something there. Um, very clever visually, I thought it was a lot. It, it reminded me in a way of like Episode Eight, right? Uh, Star Wars Episode Eight with Kylo and and Ray talking to each other. Like mm-hmm. through some kind of like similar, um, yeah, but smart. It didn't feel uh, too heavy, yeah. And I thought I thought the relationship was was relatively believable. Um, we should probably talk about the bad guys, yeah, the villains, the baddies, uh, led by Rebecca Ferguson, brilliantly. I think. Uh, what did you think of of the 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 gypsies? Do they have a name? They, they have a name, and I cannot remember what it is. Uh, why don't you look that up while, while I, I talk about I, them? T- I will go look that up. Yeah, you go ahead. Uh, so. Um, yes, Rebecca Ferguson, looking like a villainous yoga yoga mom, uh, <laughs> leads a pack of gypsies with uh, colorful names. We have uh, Crow Daddy, Snakebite Andy, Barry the Chunk. You know, it's a group of about ten people, and we we are kind of introduced to them again in the film, where that we see them uh, kind of a de- devour uh, a child, which was in the trailer. But we also see them turn uh, someone who has the shining. Uh, this uh, girl named Snakebite Andy, played by Emily Allen Lind, is uh, a fifteen-year-old who lures predatory men uh, into theaters and then robs them. Yeah. Um, and they, she is witnessed this by by this pack of gypsies, and they uh, eventually turn her essentially in into one of them. And, there, and there's a great. Uh, um, you know, line where she's, they do it, you know, they do some ceremony and she essentially inhales some of this shining mist. And, uh, you know, she has, am I still human? And the response is, uh, do you even care now? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, they, they're doing this, uh, for Im- Im- immortality and it's, it's insinuated that these people are, you know, hundred years old, 150 years old, uh, 
constantly looking for shining to devour. Yes, the villains, according to IMDb here, are in a cult called The True Knot is the name of the cult. And and the idea in, in The Shining, uh, in Doctor Sleep, excuse me, is, is that basically everybody can shine in some capacity, but very few shine brighter than others and can do things like Danny Torrance can do, right? Can see things and talk with their mind and mm-hmm. like... Um, that's kind of an untapped power in select few people. And the true knot is looking for that. They have to eat that essence, uh, 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 despite what happens to the, to the host, uh, right. And to, to survive. And so that's kind of their, their dominating thing. And when they kind of discover, um, that Abra is this new, exciting, uh, kid who, who shines very bright. They're on the road and we're, we're going to go get her. And that's, that's where our Danny Torrance has to step in and really, you know, uh, be 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 the 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 cat Stevens that he never had, right? <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I said, the, this the film is about cycles. Both novels are about you know cy- cycles of of violence and from you know parent to child, sins of the father kind of thing. And so, what what we get here is a breaking of that of that cycle by you know uh, Dan Torrance being able to put down the, the bottle and be you know be the positive role model and also just. Uh, step up when he needs to because he he definitely does not want to be on this journey he wants to say hey there's some bad people out there just you know hide your shine keep it keep it hidden don't don't do it don't say anything just keep it to yourself and and you'll be fine but he he eventually realizes that that that's that's not going to work and he has to use the you know with, with great power comes great responsibility Right. So we should talk about kind of the, the visual setup of this film because at two and a half hours, it obviously is very close in time to The Shining. Stanley Kubrick's The Shining is a very particular film, right? I mean, you and I have seen it for the show a couple of times now. Uh, it's 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 very well shot. It's, it's very specific uh, from an auteur who is very particular. This is not made by Stanley Kubrick. This is made by Mike Flanagan, uh, and he has to kind of match it in a way while also keeping it modern. How do you think he does? Because, like I said, I think I think pacing is somewhere this film really struggles. But what did you think? Yeah, I I liked I like where the film goes. But the the first act does feel uh, very very rushed. Like we have to introduce all our characters. We have to get uh, Danny is an addict. We have to get him you know help and clean. And so the beginning definitely uh, feels really rushed. But it also once it get going once it gets going, I I really liked it because. I had to, uh, I really needed to use the restroom and I just couldn't, I was like, well, here, here, no, I'll get up here. No, I'll get, I mean, I, there was just like every scene after that. I was like, no, I have to stick, I have to stick around for this. No, I need to stick around for this. So I ended up just not going because I was, I was uh, too into the film. Uh, so it does, I, I think it does, it does struggle a little bit with pacing, but I have, once it, get, it gets going, I, I really liked it. I agree. Uh, tying those three kind of plot threads together and building this new world based on what we know is a challenge. And you can tell they struggled with it in editing. I think the way it's shot, it pays a lot of homages to Kubrick uh, and what he did. And there's a lot of really cool visual effects in this film, not only practical, but also uh, just the way, like the look of things, uh, a lot of flat images and a lot of camera work. that's really sharp, a lot of tilting and turns and whip pans, you know, kind of like what Kubrick used to do. Um, but it's edited so tight because they got to cram so much information in. Oftentimes, I didn't feel like I got the time to appreciate it. You know, that was part right. of what Kubrick was so confident, like in his shots, and he he would hang on stuff, just wait, you know, and it was agony, and you never know what was coming next. But in this, they got to move it along. They got they got a lot of story to get through, and so that kind of hurt it. But 
like you said at the top, it doesn't mean it's not engaging. It's just not directly scary. It's more thriller. It's more yeah. kind of the concept of horror. Uh, and certainly violent. We should talk about that. Yeah, I mean, there's... Well, just to, to finish up, uh, you know, we have this setup of a group of adults chasing down and, you know, obviously for ritualistic purposes, murdering children. And this is obviously, uh, you know, essentially a sci-fi film, but that, that fear of, you know, of having your, your children kidnapped or worse is, uh, is very real. And I, I've seen a lot of reactions online of people who are like someone, you know, people were saying, Oh, this isn't scary. And someone said, if you're a parent, it's terrifying. Um, so it's one of those things where, when Stephen King brings real world horrors into his work, it's that much more terrifying. Yes. And, and we should definitely mention Stephen King. I think he's an important part of this because he of course wrote this. Uh, King was not particularly pleased with how the shining went in theaters, right? He didn't like Kubrick's version of it. Do you think he would like this one? Does this feel a little bit closer to his original? Cause you've read the book, right? I, I haven't read Dr. Sleep. I have read uh, the shining. Novel. Okay. Um, I, I think he, he would. Uh, you know, one of his biggest complaints with The Shining is, you know, Jack doesn't have a transformation. He's just, he's ba- ba- he's basically wants to kill his family before he ever gets to the to the Overlook, you know? Right. And, and we miss a lot of the whole, you know, thing about addiction and drinking because that, that was a reflection of, of Stephen King's own struggles at, at that time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he... I think this is much closer to the novel, both the shining novel and Dr. Sleep. From what I understand, uh, the themes are more clear this, uh, and and the also just specific details of things that happen. Yeah. And, and I think, I think this is closer to kind of how, how King wants it to go. And that's okay. Um, you know, Kubrick's version of the shining is a very controversial version, I guess, depending on if you, how you feel about the original book. But this, I think, dances across that line well it takes what really made the film effective and it kind of fuses it with what i think makes the book work um to come to something a little bit more in between i don't think that's a bad thing i also don't think it kind of steps on uh what came before it doesn't hurt my impression of the shining this didn't ruin my childhood you know it just felt kind of kind of good i I didn't mind it. it it didn't right really step on my my feelings you know it definitely had like i said it 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 weaves it it weaves um, things from both the Shining film and novel together and wraps them up nicely uh, from here. And we get some things explained here that are explained in the Shining novel that kind of make a, a little bit more sense. Um, so I, I think that was a big challenge, and I think Mike Flanagan did, Mike Flanagan did a great job of, of kind of finding a good balance between those two. Yeah, me too. Uh, I did want to mention uh, Shelley, Shelley Duvall is in this film. Uh, in a couple of flashbacks, or I should say, rather, her characters in this film, mm-hmm. they recast her, and I didn't mind that. And same, same, same with uh, D- Dick O'Halloran, the yeah. character. They they just recast him. They didn't try to like CGI it up. They just got real close, and it works. I, I actually kind of respected them for. Oh, yeah, it. I, I was like, oh wow, yeah, like you didn't feel like you had to get a CGI studio to work this over. It's just, yeah. It's so much better. So much better. Whoever they got to, uh, let me look up her name, uh, to play uh, Wendy Torrance. Uh, She looks just like her. She sounds just like her. You know, she does the... uh, Oh my God, Danny! Is, uh, yeah. is, she, she actually sounds very close. Yeah, I was, I was impressed. You know, uh, a, a woman named Alex Asso. 
Um, uh, yeah, Blizzard, so yeah. she did great, and they also had to get a new because obviously Dan Dan Torrance is only or the kid who played Danny Torrance is, was only five, so they had to find a new five year old. Um, and it was much better. I'd much letters much rather see a real actor up there than uh you know CGI magic, which is only done to try and show off, and it it never looks hundred uh, percent convincing, and I don't need it to. It's just a character. It doesn't have to be the same person. I am pretty much completely in agreement. I, I appreciated them for it. I wish more studios would do it. I, I do want to talk about very quick some violence in this film. Um, I, you know, on top of, of eating shine, there's there's a couple of scenes in particular that are conceptually very violent. They don't show a lot on screen, um, but you're kind of exposed to the idea of things going on. Um, that stuff is horrifying to the point where, like, I started laughing in my theater. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think you know what scene I'm talking about. Like, I couldn't even keep it together. It was so awful. Um, this movie swings for the fences that way. Right. Yeah, definitely. And there's lots of body horror. There's lots of uh, gore at at times. I kind of thought it was going to go, it was going to amp up and kind of get more and more. It doesn't really do that. But we do get, uh, when the violence comes, it is uh, pretty heavy and and disturbing. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, Any other thoughts on Dr. Sleep? We should probably, uh, the music, I think, is worth mentioning, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the really good score. We get some of our our classic uh, themes, the DSC Ray, of course, uh, which is originally from Berlioz's uh, Symphony Fantastique, is where that's Mm -hmm. taken from. Uh, Yeah, I really liked it, and we get uh, you know kind of a new or an an enhanced version of the original theme that we all know that that's uh, kind of famous. Yes, uh, and I thought that also was accompanied by just kind of a score throughout the film that was very orchestral, uh, which surprised me. Orchestral, I guess, is the way to say that, which surprised me. Normally in a horror film, you're going to get kind of, you know, simple stuff, but this sounded very robust. A lot of stings, a lot of deep bass, you know, drums. Um, I don't recall horns, but I know they're in the theme. Um, It's very impressive for for a horror film. You don't often see that. You don't see a lot of money put into soundtrack, and and this one, like, it really shows. Mm -hmm. I I felt like that was a, a very important part of the experience. Yeah, absolutely. I guess absolutely. Yeah. Any other any other thoughts? What am I missing? We uh, oh, a couple of things that I just wanted to mention. So there's so, definitely some nods to other horror films. Um, there's there's uh, there's a nod to Nightmare on Elm Street. There is uh, nods to the original Shining. There's some shots that are are, are re, kind of recreated um, from from the Shining that if fans will will recognize uh, right away. But it uh, again, it's it's about bearing. The, the film and I imagine the novel is about burying the ghosts of, of the past. And so we do reach retread some familiar ground. Some of it works really well. Sometimes I felt it was a little bit overdone, uh, but overall I, I liked it. We have some really interesting con- confrontations happen. Yeah. I, I think I, for the most part agree. And I guess that's where we should probably jump into recommendations. Andy, would you recommend Dr. Sleep? I definitely would. Even if you haven't seen The Shining, even if you haven't read the novel, I, I think you'll get it. You'll really dig it. It's it's more of, like you said, sci-fi thriller. And if you're not familiar with the original property, I, th- I think this picks it up uh, really well. Um, and, and for those, of course, if you are a big fan, you got to see it. <laughs> um, I, I've seen mostly... Uh, mostly 
positive uh, reviews and receptions. Everyone seems to like it. Everyone seems to like the characters and what it does. And unfortunately, it does. It seems to have trouble. It, it seems like it's not finding an audience. Um, but it, it is a good film, and I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat. I know I've just been agreeing with you this whole episode, but honestly. <laughs> it's good. It's it's different. You know, tonally, it's not going to be a whole lot of big scares. If you want that, The Shining's always there. Head back. It's still just as scary as it was before, I promise. Um, but if you want something that's a little bit... Just grows that universe a little bit, but doesn't really tread on what came before. It's smart. It's engaging. I, I, I liked it. It's worth a watch, I think. Dr. Sleep, not too bad. Absolutely. I'm definitely excited to watch it for October next year at least. It'll be a good good kind of addition to The Shining. I don't think it hurts it. But anyway, uh, that about wraps our show. It's been quite an episode. My Terminator review is way too long, but that's okay. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get through it. Uh, next week, we're going to be taking a look at Ford versus Ferrari, Matt Damon and Christian Bale, and Noel on Disney+. Plus. I know it's early for a Christmas film, but it's coming up. And even off script isn't isn't uh, <laughs> isn't immune to the Christmas charm, right? You got to get in no, early. That's right. Start start putting out Christmas stuff. So yeah, this is going to be our our first Disney Plus film. And uh, next week we'll be doing a, a full Disney Plus review. Zach and I have both subscribed to the service, so we'll be digging around, watching some. I've already watched uh, the first episode of The Mandalorian, so we'll be talking about that and the service and kind of see how, how the internet and the world at large reacts to it. If you enjoyed the show today, email us at mail at offscriptfilmview.com and let us know what you thought. Maybe share some movies you'd rather we talk about or your thoughts on what we already saw. Uh, Hit us up on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're even on YouTube. The show goes up over there too, so let us know. And if there's anything you can do for the show, just subscribe or rate and review. That counts too. You know, hey, that's that's just as good, maybe better. But tell your friends, uh, let them know who sent you, and thanks for listening to Off Script. Uh, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.